And so let me read Romans 7 for us. And I'm actually going to start at verse 7. You have it in your handout. And I'm going to read down to 25. Here's what Paul writes. He says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, (laughs) sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do right, evil lies close at hand. No, Sorry. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This font is too tiny. Please forgive me. This is where I realize I'm getting old. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let me pray for us, and I want to talk about what I want to get into. Let's pray first. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who loves to reveal yourself to us. And we thank you that you are a God who loves to reveal ourselves to ourselves. You love to show us who it is that we really are. And Lord, what more could we ask for? What more could we want as those of us who are in college, for those of us who are having identity crisis out of all kinds of places? Lord, would you show us our true selves, that we might see ourselves rightly, and that we might find ourselves in you, that we might look to Christ, that we might look to the Deliverer, the only one who can save us, the only one who can make us new, the only one who can uh, redeem us out of bondage, the only one who can make us feel like something. Lord, we pray these things. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, my son, he's nine, and he's got this thing where he thinks he's like 14, 15. And the, biggest, the, the mistake that we made as parents, or that I can own, that I made, was I decided pretty early on I was going to let him watch the big stories. Like, I like this idea that I want my kids to be exposed to good, good art, good movies, good stories. And so we let him do the Harry Potter thing. We let him do the Star Wars thing, and we let him do the Lord of the Rings thing. And so, but his, but it kind of backfired because now he wants to watch, like, if he sees the movie's PG-13, like, he wants to watch that, which is sort of what Paul is saying. is like there's something about the forbidden that we're drawn to. But anyways, we do this, uh, we had this kind of man day a couple weekends ago, and he's like, I'm like, Asher, what do you want to do? And he's like, I want to get Zaxby's and watch Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, sounds great. 
So Wings and Things combo for me, we watched Two Towers. And that scene in Two Towers, if you're familiar, uh, between Smeagol and Gollum. Smeagol's my favorite. I'll never forget being in theaters, watching Smeagol and thinking, oh, like, this is what the Christian life feels like. And there's especially that scene in Two Towers. I'm, I'm going to read the conversation between Gollum and Smeagol, and here's how it goes. Gollum says to him, we want, sorry about the ring, obviously, we want it, we need it, must have the precious, they stole it from us, sneaky little hobbitses, wicked, tricksy, false. Smeagol says, no, not master. Gollum, yes, precious, yes, precious, false, they will cheat you, hurt you, lie. Master is my friend. You don't have any friends, nobody likes you. Not listening, I'm not listening, you're a liar and a thief. No, murderer. Go away. Go away? I hate you. I hate you. Where would you be without me? Gollum. Gollum. I saved us. It was me. We survived because of me. Not anymore. What did you say? Master looks after us. Now we don't need you. What? Leave now and never come back. No. Leave now and never come back. Leave now and never come back. And then he leaves. And when I watch that scene, I think, this feels like me. This feels like Romans 7. This feels like there's a sense in which it feels like, if we're being honest with ourselves, if we've come to Christ, if we've experienced like being made alive, being born again, whatever you want to call it, being converted to Christ, there's a sense in which it was an incredible experience. And we really did feel new in a lot of places. And yet, if we're being honest, we didn't get very far along before we felt like the old part of us is not only still there, but it seems like raging ever stronger. And some of us, we did the thing where we, we really, uh, really worked hard at the Christian life for several years and felt like we made some progress. And then we had this huge relapse and we thought, am I even a Christian anymore? And as you mature in the Christian life, we've talked about this all the time in RF. Part of the irony of this is what the Puritans used to say, that all growth in the Christian life is downward growth, where holiness, like becoming more holy as a Christian, is actually realizing more and more how unholy you are. Growing as a Christian ironically, is actually struggling ever harder against sin. And so what I want to do tonight is pretty simple. Like, thinking about Romans 7, I just want to do it really simply and say, I think there's a warning here, and I think there's a sweet, sweet comfort here. I think there's a strong, like, warning that we have to deal with, and I think there's also this incredible comfort that I hope uh, moves you and me. So first, let's think about for the warning, and here it is, just put simply, I'm, here's how I want to say it. There's no such thing as a non-struggling Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian who has it all together. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't see their sin. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not, in a very real sense, struggling with sin. Now, why is that a warning? This is where Paul gets into his story. And this story is pretty fascinating. Like, part of Romans 7 is, like, we get this opportunity to read Paul's diary. And he really is, he's kind of reflecting on how it is, I would say, he really began to get the gospel. And he kind of tells his, his story in a way that says, I think this is our story, just like a Christian story. And here's what he says. He says, Paul, like, he grew up with the law. He knew it backwards and forwards. He, the Ten Commandments were something that were, like, he didn't just know them, but he grew up in a household where he, like, owned them. Like, he was the kid that could stand up and, you know, I remember kids that could, like, recite the whole book of Philippians. Like, that was Paul. Like, he was the kid that was through and through, but he didn't just know stuff. He really was moral. Like, he really did, as best as he understood the law, try to follow it to the T. And he says in Romans 7 this really interesting thing. 
because here's what he's saying. Imagine Paul, he's, he's thinking through, this has been a Jewish practice, you're meditating, praying through the Ten Commandments. And we can, we can imagine Paul, here he is, he's dutifully praying through the Ten Commandments, and even confessing sin through the Ten Commandments. And he gets to that Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. And he says something incredibly powerful, it was a Holy Spirit moment. Because he said what that commandment did was he said, my whole life I had been thinking that God's law was totally external, therefore keepable. I was checking my boxes. And what the 10th commandment did to me was it said that the, the, the law is meant to show me the wretchedness of my heart. It's meant to show me that here is God's blueprint for humanity. Here is God's blueprint for a human being who is alive and loves God. And if I really search my heart, it's not me. Because think about coveting. If you, if you think about coveting, coveting is nothing external. It's totally internal. Like you can't, like there's no, there's no way to check a box off not coveting. Like, you can't, like there's no external thing to grab hold. It it's totally invites you to look inward at your own heart. And what Paul is saying is he looked inward at his own heart. What he began to see for the first time was the ugliness, the wretchedness. He began to see, let's put it this way, he began to see for the first time in his life his sin that he had not kept the law, that this law, this blueprint for humanity was far bigger than he, than he was himself. This is the way I've been thinking about it. I, I love this idea. This is from N.T. Wright, this idea that the law is God's blueprint for humanity. I'm going to say that a lot tonight. And I love this idea because part of what Paul does, if he, like, so here's my experience with this. So a, a few uh, months ago, the church that my family and I worship in, I'm friends with the pastors, and so we got invited to go look at this potential new building that the church might move into. And it's the old, if you're familiar with Main Street, it's the old Hennessy's building that's across from Taps. It's just kind of on the further end of Main Street. And from the outside, Hennessy's, if you've been in Columbia like for a long time, it used to be a really nice restaurant here, but it's been closed for years. And so when we walked, I mean, so I didn't know what to expect. From the outside, it looks like this is a pretty sweet building. This could be a, a great place for a church. And as we walk in, like, the smell alone could have just, like, just, like, I mean, it was, I mean, no amount of Febreze could touch it. (laughs) But not just, like, I mean, things are rotting and falling apart. But not just that, like, you could tell that whoever owned this building, the the way that they built things within the building was totally just, just, I don't know the word than, like, funky like just super weird and out of place. So there were like stairs running up like in the middle of this one huge room. Like bathrooms are all out of place. Like not only is everything falling apart, but the way that they, you know, worked on the building was just totally jacked up to the point where, you know, to, to, to essentially renovate the thing and get it just back to ground zero is going to be way too much money for the church to do. And what I, what, like, if, just imagine with me for a second that if we were to somehow get the blueprints for what that building was supposed to originally be, and if we were to take those blueprints and look at them and then compare, compare it to the building that actually is there rotting, stinking, jacked up, that's a bit of what Paul's saying happened to him. And if the, there's a sense in which we would see it's not what this builder designed it to be. It's not what it was intended to be. And Paul is saying, you have to hear me here, this is radical. He's saying, unless you've had a moment where you have compared yourself against the blueprint of what God has called you and made you to be, and what it means to love him with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself, if you have not seen your own jacked upness, if you have not seen your own brokenness, if you have not seen your own messed upness, do not call yourself a Christian. This is the warning. Do not, if you do not see your sin, 
If you cannot tell me your struggles, do not call yourself a Christian. Because what Paul is saying is a Christian is someone who sees their jacked upness. A Christian is someone who sees their messed upness. A Christian is someone who sees that they do not have it all together. And this is a huge moment. I think, you know, what does this mean for us? I mean, let me apply this in two ways. Pretty simple ways. Here's, here's the first way. It's a simple question. Do you see your sin? Can you tell me what it is that you're struggling to repent of? And the second one is this. Are you sharing it with someone? And this is where I think it gets a little harder for us. You know, we talked last week about Christ and your past. Because I think what happens, like, as I've been in Bible studies and life groups throughout the years, here's what I find. Like, when it comes time to, like, let's talk about, let's get real. Let's talk about what's really going on with your heart. My tendency is I want to talk about the past. <laughs> like, I want to tell you about the parts of my life that I, the things in my life that I used to struggle with. But I've, like, kind of figured them out. And I've like, kind of repented and I've grown. I no longer really struggle. That's what I want to share. You know what I'm scared to death to share? How I sin today. I am scared to death, and I imagine you are too, to get into a life group and that question comes up and I say, you know, we're talking about, let's get real for a second. What, you know, what do you, what do, how can we pray for you? To say what's really going on with me. To tell you how I current, presently am struggling. Here's, this is like what I'm trying to, so, Here's what I think we do sometimes. Like we, we forget, yes, you have a past, absolutely. But you have a present too. There is somewhere right now that you are struggling. You're, you're struggling with sin. And the question for you is, are you talking about it? What would it look like to begin to talk about it? I mean, what, I was thinking about this on the way over. One simple suggestion. What if the next time you grab coffee with a safe, a friend who gets the gospel, a friend who's a Christian that, that at some measure loves you, maybe you're getting to know them, maybe you know them pretty well, what if the next time you grab coffee, you just said, okay, I'm going to have the courage to share something that I haven't really told anybody. Something that I'm really, something that's going on with me that I really need someone to know about. Uh, this just happened. You know, it's funny. So every summer I get to do this uh, depression seminar at summer conference coming up in May. And I just, it was in this email exchange with a student who did that seminar two years ago. And they, they said to me, I'm really struggling with depression to the point where I really feel like I want to kill myself, but I, I don't want to tell anybody. I can't tell my campus minister. I can't tell my interns. I can't tell my friends. I definitely can't tell my parents because if I told my parents, they're going to lose their stuff. And so I'm trying, like, trying to gently say, like, I totally understand that. I get that. Also, secrecy is not your friend. There's a sense in which sin wants to isolate you to the point where you tell nobody anything. And so as we kind of email back and forth, she's like, I can't tell anyone. And we finally get to this place where I'm like, I'm going to pray that the Lord will give you courage just, just to talk. I know, like, Ariette, what I love about RF is campus ministers are safe people. You can talk to them. I, I promise you your campus minister is safe. And so she got the courage to talk to them. She did. And she emailed me back. It's my favorite. I'm going to save this email and, like, frame it somewhere in my house. Because these are rare moments. It's rare in ministry we have, like, tangible moments. Where she said, I told him, he was amazing. He met me with such grace. We talked about finding me a counselor. It was so incredible. I'm so glad that I said something. Do you have moments like that? What could that look like for you? Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's dinner. Maybe it's the courage of just reaching out to, to someone that you just met in RUF and saying, can we grab, 
Can we grab coffee? Are you sharing your struggles? Paul is saying if we're not, we're definitely not growing. And if we're not seeing our struggles, don't call yourself a Christian. That's the warning. Good times. Here's the comfort. There's a comfort too. Here's the comfort. And the comfort is the same idea. Your struggle is actually a sign that you are a growing Christian. Your fight, your struggle against sin is actually a sign that you belong to Jesus. In other words, part of how you know you've been made alive, part of how you know you're alive in Christ, is that you see you can't keep the law, you haven't kept the law, but you also see and can pray with Paul here, who will deliver me from this wretched body of death? Praise be to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's a sense in which, as you see yourself as as a struggler, at the same time, the way the gospel works is Jesus says, I am the deliverer of strugglers. I, this is the whole point of why I came. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2, if, listen, if we could do this thing and keep the law on our own, Jesus Christ died in vain. The reason Jesus Christ came and died is because we can't. And the moment you begin to admit that and see that, it's this beautiful sign. The moment you begin to struggle and fight against your sin, it's a, it's a beautiful sign to you that you belong to Jesus. Another way of saying it is that the law is the, br- the blueprint. Here's what Paul is saying about Jesus. On the one hand, we could say Jesus is the only law keeper. So there's a sense in which Jesus is the only perfect house that exists ever in humanity. He's the only person who never sinned. But there's another beautiful thing that he's saying about Jesus. And it's that he's actually the master builder. That he's actually, that part of how you know he's at work in your life is that there is struggle and mess happening in you. Um, let me... Let me I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts this. Another way to say it is like the way that you know that Jesus is at work in your life is that things are being knocked about. Things are being torn out. Things are being you know, thrown up. Things are happening that are messy, that are causing struggle in your life. Here's the way C.S. Lewis, I've always loved the way he put it in mere Christianity. He said this. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house, and at first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing up a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards, you thought. You are being made into a decent little cottage. He is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Our neighbors uh, just across the street are remodeling their bathroom. It feels like it's taking forever. But part of what's happening, like part of how we know the bathroom is being made new, is like they just the workers keep bringing out piles of like broken wood, broke like it's just the piles of broken tile and broken wood are just building in the front yard. And, like, eventually they're going to, like, take it away, I assume. But part of, but part of how we know that that, like that, how, that, that that bathroom is being remade, part of how we know that it's being made new, literally, is that there's mess everywhere. Here's the comfort for you and for me. Are you here tonight and you feel like, I just asked forgiveness for the millionth time for this particular son? Or maybe you're thinking, like, I barely came to RUF because of last night. I did it again. And can I say to you that that even thought of failing Jesus is a sign that he is at work in your life. And what he wants to remind you of tonight is that is a sign that he loves you and you belong to him.
And then he promises to bring to completion the good work he started in you. And part of how you know he's at work in you is things get messy and there is struggle. There is hope, absolutely, but there is struggle. Um, I'll close with this. So this past week, we uh, I got to go to Atlanta with some friends to a Sufjan Stevens concert. And see, like I'd never seen him before in my life. And it really was like seeing this, like the coolest angel you've ever seen. Um, I don't know how else to say it because it was really super weird, but then also beautiful. Like there were times where you're like, what uh, am I looking at? And then also like times where you're like weeping. And one of the times where I started weep, almost, not almost, almost weeping. I can't cry in front of friends. You know what I mean? Uh, was, uh, so he did his set of his first album. And he comes out to do his encore, and his most famous song that you, whether you know Sufjan or not, you probably heard is his song Chicago with the, the refrain is, I've made a lot of mistakes. And there's this moment where he's singing it, and the crowd joins in. And just, just people sitting down in the crowd just start singing, I made a lot of mistakes, I made a lot of mistakes, I made a lot of mistakes. And I'm like, I want to join in so badly, but I feel like I can't because I'm care too much what people think but as I was listening to this like crowd of thousands of people seeing I made a lot of mistakes I just kept thinking like there's this longing in us to do Romans 7 to just say why do I not do what I know I should do and why do I do what I know I shouldn't do And part of what Paul is saying in Romans 7, this is what he's saying. If you can't sing that, you don't belong to Jesus. If you can sing that, he is at work loving you, rebuilding you, and making you new. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, would you, you alone can put that song in our hearts that we could sing about our sin in a way that um, makes uh, the cross makes you seem like uh, the, the the only Savior, the only person who can love us out of our sin, the only person who can change us where we need to be changed. Lord, we thank you that you are far more patient with us than we are with ourselves. I pray that you would let Romans 7 just sit in our hearts and grow in our lives. Would you give us the grace to talk to one another, um, even from this? And we pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. You friend don't look to stranger you know in him I'll always be there but when you're When you're in danger Take a look all around And I'll be there I'm sorry that I'm just thinking of the right words to say I know they don't sound If you wait around while I'll make you fall for me, I promise.
I promise.